0: Hello and welcome to The Going Upcast, your weekly feel-good podcast with a breakdown on new TV shows you should watch, my first guest star for The Going Upcast, new songs of the week, a God-tier album you should all listen to, and much more. I'm your host, Andrew Logan, and let's dive right into it. So this week, we have our very first guest star on The Going Upcast. They're a very dear friend of mine from way back in the day. And we have quite the conversation about musical theater, our collective love of many things in this world, and a little bit about what they do. Get all into that a little later on. I talk about two TV shows that I've been watching quite a bit of lately that you should absolutely check out. The songs of the week for me strike many emotional notes because of just how incredible these songs are and what one of these albums means to me. We have three brand new Harry Potter chapters and a bunch of other stuff. Naturally, if you enjoy The Going Upcast, feel free to check out patreon.com forward slash goingupcast, where you can support The Going Upcast podcast and all the stuff I do, and you can check out thegoingupcast.com forward slash store for personalized recordings and mystery books for your listening pleasure. Mm, what book is it going to be? There's only one way to find out. But for now, let's move on to the first thing in this week's episode. for this week's songs of the week i wanted to do something a little bit different because i want to spend some time talking about the cover a bit more in depth and what that album, to me, like represents and stuff like that. And I also wanted to loop in kind of the theme for this week's episode, musical theater, with the first song. Second album has a lot to do with it as well, but um, I like this first song just a whole heck of a lot. It's not the cover, so I just, I'm just going to talk about it, how awesome of a song it was. Uh, it came to us pretty recently in this kind of, um, I don't want to say renaissance of movie musicals, because... To my knowledge, there have been like two, but hey, that's more than we've gotten in like the last, you know, couple of decades. So I'll take the win where it is. Uh, But I want to talk about my personal favorite song from The Greatest Showman, which is, of course, This Is Me, which was just a show stopping, incredible song. Um, It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, but it actually lost to Remember Me from Coco, which is also an incredible song. Um, in the, in the movie, that's a really, remember me is a really good song in Coco. Um, but as a standalone song, this is me is a better song. Um, it's message is incredibly powerful. It is all about, uh, you know, overcoming adversity. Um, challenges get in your way, you just knock them the fuck down. It doesn't matter who or what you are, as long as you believe in yourself, it doesn't matter what people think of you because you are incredible. This is who you're meant to be. You know, it's that, it's that amazing, beautiful, perfect message of self-confidence and identity that so many people can relate with. Cause we all have those moments of like anxiety and doubt. And it's all about just, you know, you are, you're perfect the way you are and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And it's, It almost, it's like, it's a song that was like perfectly designed to be on the feel-good playlist. And it's actually, uh, to my knowledge, um, I'll have to double check, but I'm pretty sure this is the first musical song on the playlist, which is a crying shame because musicals are fantastic. And a musical to me is like this incredible epic story uh, told through song. And what is awesome is that what I listen to more often than not nowadays are these super long, complex concept albums, which are basically just musicals. Uh, for example, um, Tiara from 7th Wonder, my album of the year last year, is a concept album. And if you listen to those three songs, the trilogy songs in the middle of it, you would, there's a story there. There's an epic, big story, and it's told beautifully through song. And the one of the best examples of the concept album that has come out uh, within my lifetime at the very least was The Astonishing, which came out in 2016 by Dream Theater. It's a two and a half hour long album. It's got like 60 something songs on there. And it uh, like irrevocably tells an incredible story of injustice, of um, saviors coming to you know conquer overthrow these tyrants. The power of music. It's a love story. It's a story of betrayal. There's twists and turns. It's as complex and outstanding as any major Broadway production that you could see. What makes this album even more incredible is that the entire thing is done with the Prague Symphony Orchestra backing up. Quite possibly the best. Um, technically skilled band in the last you know century they are unbelievably talented the the speed and and like beauty of the music they're able to craft is unparalleled John uh, Petrucci is one of the best guitarists I've ever seen live I saw this album performed live it was revolutionary mind-blowing experience it is just it's superb it's crazy how good this album is to me it's it's untouchable i don't know how many other grandiose phrases i could possibly come up with describing how good the astonishing really is um if it had a failing i would say lyrically it's kind of hit or miss but i say that it's a benefit because if the concept album is too um abstract then you won't be able to figure out what the story is with like first listening um, and I would say the lyrics being of a simpler design actually make the story incredibly easy to follow. Which means you listen to that thing from beginning to end and you know exactly who everybody is and what the fuck just happened. Um, and I can think of a couple of concept albums that despite being very good musically and um, like vocally, lyrically, and where the story takes place, it kind of falls apart. TR is actually a pretty good example of that. I've had to read several different people's interpretations to figure out what the fuck that album was actually about. Not the case with The Astonishing. That being said, there was a ton of supplemental information about The Astonishing that you can find if you want to know more about the story, more of the background. There's like maps of the world you can go take a look at. I've actually developed continents on my D&D worlds based off of this album. It's so like fleshed out and um, fun to just learn about. And so what I did, naturally, for this week's cover is I chose probably my favorite song from this album. Uh, In my head, it's a a pairing. So the whole thing is basically, you know, this one story, it's one song. It's all just this big old concept album. But there's two songs in there that, to me, tie together. And I'm going to talk about them both as this week's Song of the Week. And it's A Savior in the Square and When Your Time Has Come and these two songs um to me have a one of the most like it elicits such an emotional response from me is the guitar solo from the beginning of a savior in the square it's so simple i've actually figured out how to play it um because it's it's so simple yet the the way it's performed and like i said the simplicity of it is what makes it incredible it's it's sinfully beautiful you must listen to it it's it's so good it just it hits you in all like all the right spots and oh it's just beautiful and when your time has come is the song where in the story the um the evil tyrant um lord nefarious comes to the town where the savior gabriel is to hear him perform and so this is the song that gabriel sings uh, and it brings Lord Nefarious to tears, and throughout the song, um, Gabriel also sees for the first time Faith, uh, Lord Nefarious' daughter, and immediately falls in love with her. And it's it's a beautiful song. It's if I was being honest, I do really love the song, but in terms of it's it's definitely more um, I don't want to say poppy, but it's more traditional. That's that's a good way to phrase it. Uh, Dream Theater at their core is a prog progressive band, um, but when your time has come definitely follows uh traditional music structure a lot more so it seems a little out of place um in the album but when you think about it as a song that's actually being performed in universe and not just a way to deliver the story it kind of works out um in in the in the album's favor so and again when your time has come has a a gorgeous message of um like uh not really biding your time but um like your time will come you know when you have to do what's right when that moment comes around and just understanding that life will not always be beating you down and there will be the time where you will overcome obstacles this is me and when your time has come really have pretty similar messages and they're both phenomenal songs, but like I said, those are three, technically three songs this week because I refuse to separate a savior in the square and when your time has come, but anyway, let's listen to my, this was recorded pretty late at night so it's like, it, it, it's you know it's it's a different feel, anyway, here's my cover of uh, when your time has come In this fleeting life We can sometimes lose our way But night for the new day when you're facing a path that divides know that i will be there by your side find your strength in the sound of my voice If you have a song that you would like to suggest for song of the week there's lots of ways you can do that but the two best ways you can do that would be to email me at goingcast at gmail.com and list the song that you want to have showcased as song of the week and i'll talk about it also if you want to send in a cover you can send it in at goamcast.com, or you can use the contact page at or sorry you can send it to goingcast at gmail.com or use the contact page at goamcast.com, and we will just talk about music and reminisce please listen to the astonishing it's probably going to go down in history as one of my all-time favorite albums. It's unbelievably good. Dream Theater is actually coming out with a new album, and I know it's going to be good, but it's just it's not going to have that same impact as the Astonishing. I don't think I don't think anything really will. To be perfectly honest, Arian has come out with albums since the Astonishing, and they didn't hit me as hard as the Astonishing did. It's it's a once-in-a-lifetime album. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Another week, another batch of brand new Harry Potter chapters for y'all to listen to. We've got chapter four, number twelve, Grimald Place. Chapter Five, The Order of the Phoenix, and Chapter Six, The Noble and Most Ancient House of Black. Now, unfortunately, we do not have a segment or a highlight from these episodes for this week. Reason being is that these chapters are these this time capsule of past fury and rage that have been captured so beautifully that to take the anger out of context would be would be a disservice to just how truly angry I was when I was reading these chapters. Couldn't tell you why I was that angry. I've been thinking about it, but it was like over a year ago, so I'm not really sure, but oh boy, was I, <laughs> chapter four, Whew, that's, that's some that's some top tier rage Is what's going on in there uh, So enjoy, I hope you like it And hey, if you guys want me to read Something that you really enjoy There's a brand new option for that You can go to GoAmCast.com forward slash store And I'll read whatever the hell you want I don't even care I'll, It's going to be great whatever, whatever book, script, personal poem Short story, fan fiction Whatever you can come up with that you you would love me to narrate in my classic drunken style i would be more than happy to to fill that need for you or if you don't know what kind of book you want well you can just get yourself a mystery book there could be anything could be absolutely anything i'm going to record a couple of those here in a little bit just a couple of things that i've picked up from uh, from my own personal collection that i was like oh this would be great for this so i hope you guys hope you guys enjoy those and for now we'll just move on to the next thing in the podcast So for the first time since the Going Up cast became a thing, I finally get to put into practice the other half of the meaning of the Going Up cast. And to me, the Going Up cast was always meant to be a cast of people that would come on to the podcast and talk about, you know, talk about themselves, talk about what makes them happy in life, in the world, uh, kind of like what what their what their specialty is, you know what I mean? Uh, cause we each have like this, in my opinion, at least each person has like their go-to thing that makes them happy. Uh, that puts, that puts meaning in their, in their day to day. Um, and I always love to talk about that with people. And so in the spirit of that, I have my first guest on the going up cast. They are a dear friend of mine. We go all the way back to high school. Uh, we talk about all sorts of stuff, uh, coming up here, but most importantly is our collective love of musical theater. So, without further ado, allow me to introduce my friend Mosey. So, I got you into theater. Um, I
1: <laughs> I got into theater with the same typical way that like most um, straight guys do. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a girlfriend who did theater, and she wanted to audition for a show, and. I wanted to spend more time with her, so I also auditioned for the show. Nice. Um, Do you remember that, the show? Uh, Jungle Book.
0: That was a, that was a musical. Yeah. Like a. Sti- I, how did how did it go? Did you get blue? Um. Well,
1: no. I only. Because I didn't feel like I was a strong singer, so I actually ah. just auditioned for the ensemble, and I was very adamant about not getting a lead to the director. <laughs> and then I found out, like halfway through, the guy who played Mowgli, um, he's he was kind of an asshole, right? Um, and I I listened to your podcast before this, so I know that swearing is a okay. God, fuck um,
0: damn right it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, and then I found out that she really wanted me to play Mowgli, but she was respecting my wishes, and I would have taken Mowgli mm-hmm. if offered. Gotcha. But like I was just like, nah I I just want to be an ensemble. I'm just here to hang out with my girlfriend.
0: <laughs> Mowgli is saying a little bit, right? Like a bits little and bit, pieces yeah. and songs. Like to the level of Simba singing Hakuna Matata?
1: I I wanna say he had like a, a few solo numbers. Like it I don't know if you've ever seen it on stage. It's it's No, I, I haven't. Think, I'm pretty sure it's vastly different from the movie in the terms of what songs are in there. I mean, of course they keep like the songs. Right. But
0: um yeah. I I guess it'd be similar to seeing um Hunchback of Notre Dame on stage where that I believe also added a couple of songs. Uh
1: it added a couple of songs, it rearranges it, stuff like yep. that uh to make it fit better for the stage. Uh Tarzan is also the same way. Um cuz Tarzan adds a whole slew of songs. Gotcha. And it's still Phil Collins. I mean, he right. still he still uh did it. So yeah, that's how I got into acting mm-hmm. and then that relationship ended up not working out. And then I was like, you know, I, I do enjoy it. And, you know, my dad was kind of excited. He was actually a huge theater nerd in high school. Um, nice. And before he joined the military, he was thinking about going to the top art school in uh, Minnesota. Um, so he was excited. And then the next year rolled around. Oh, God, no. Was it the next year? That same year? No, it was. No, it was that same year that I did Jungle Book. I did um, Cinderella.
0: Oh, Okay and just starting in the Disney in the Disney meal you yeah it was the
1: Rogers and Hammerstein's version which is I want to say different than the Disney version I would imagine so because Disney works with uh, MTI Um, and Rogers and Hammerstein and MTI for those of you that maybe don't know um, are rights companies they're the ones that you contact when you want to do a show and then you pay them the money and then you can do the show
0: or Um, the people that chase after you later for not asking them in the first place yeah which oh
1: god we can talk about that for days um (laughs) it's not a problem until it's a problem and then it's
0: it's a fucking problem
1: there's one theater on the east coast that it turned into a huge problem um Mm -hmm. so we did cinderella i was a mouse no i was the carriage no, uh, <laughs> I played right to ensemble members. Um, I played like a villager. Um, All right. It's actually the choreographer said that I actually have natural movement and that I should look at dancing more. And I did not follow that advice, but she gifted me uh, a pair of jazz shoes that I still have to this day. And they're like $60, $70, you know, shoes. And then okay, found yeah, out... Because I became friends with her son that uh, she lived in the same apartment complex as us. Oh, that's awesome. So that was pretty rad. So I, even after she stopped doing choreography for us, uh, I still saw her on the regular basis and rehearsal. And I was like 15 at the time. So I, like, I wasn't driving. I didn't get my driver's license until I was 23. Gotcha. Um, but I was 15, so my mom dropped me off at... Uh, it's How when you go to the
0: wrong rehearsal? Well...
1: <laughs> They didn't really specify that ensemble was not needed. Oh, okay. Okay. For a second, I thought you showed up at a different audition. No, um, and the tough part was, because I lived right down the street from the high school, but this is when it was being remodeled, Mm -hmm. and we couldn't use our theater.
2: Gotcha.
0: Um, So I had to go to the other high school, which you know about. Yes, I remember that other (laughs) high school. There was a cat (laughs) hidden in the rafters at that other high school. Is there really? Yeah, oh, man. Um, Yeah, what was that? Senior high school... I th- no, it was, it was senior or junior or high school when I was actually part of the tech crew alongside you. Um, right. Remember, there was that fucking orange plushy cat that we had. Yeah. It was like it was like Frumpkin McBuffer Snuffers or something like that. Sure. Um, there was a, there was an orange stuffed cat. And yeah, on like the last day of whatever that show was that I can't fucking remember. Was it the um, women? It might have been. I was like running lights with Ben up in the rafters. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I took that that cat and I climbed as high as I could and I like tossed it and it just kind of stuck up there and I was like, yep, that it will remain. So yeah, there's probably an incredibly dusty, horrible looking orange plushy cat still stuck in those rafters.
1: Probably. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, no. So I showed up (laughs) to the wrong rehearsal (laughs) where you weren't needed because you were ensemble. Yeah. But like my mom had already driven away and we lived like a half hour away. So I was there until she came to pick me up. Gotcha and that's like the worst thing on a Saturday because I wanted to do other things uh, so the director is like well they're working on uh, lighting stuff in the auditorium if you want to go help them you know, might be able to use your muscles um, and then it all went downhill from there
0: and then you were behind the scenes instead of in front of them
1: well, I split my time when when you're an actor in high school uh, if you ever want to switch to tech you find that you're also an actor yep. um, in the show that you're teching Because you, and that's one problem in high school is that like not a lot of guys want to do it, but it's like it's a lot of fun. Listen, if (laughs) this is my advice for everyone out there, like one thing that you know, it's the it's the homo, you know, the the it's a homophobic stereotype, you know, Mm -hmm. that only or toxic masculinity is probably the best way to put it.
0: Yeah, that's that's Um, a good way to
1: phrase it. I think that's better, it's not really homophobic it's like, because you can still have the idea that like, oh, theater's not for me because I'm straight, Mm -hmm. you know I just don't understand the stereotype is what I'm trying to get at
0: it's it is an interesting one, because god, I've been a fan of musicals since I was a kid, because my dad Mm -hmm. loved musicals and it, it never really was a thing for me growing up to be in plays and stuff, I never thought about it in that context of it not being something that a man should do and you know life's fucking too short and putting Mm -hmm. like boundaries and restrictions upon yourself because of what others might think of you when you do it is just stupid yeah you should just fucking do it oh god uh so it really went downhill from there
1: when um it didn't really go downhill (laughs) It went up it well it went uphill from there um i'm selling myself short here aren't i
0: yeah, I mean, come on, let's let's call a spade a spade. When you're just like, oh, I went downhill, and before I knew it, I was like cleaning shoes and with a broom in my hand. That's not what happened.
1: No. Um. So, the next year, the year after, I forget when it was. Um, it was my sophomore year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend came up to me, uh, and she worked at the um, the local regional theater,
0: um, which is one hell of a fucking theater.
1: Yeah, it's one hell of a fucking theater. And she told me, hey, we're looking for people to help build the sets over the summer. Are you interested? And I said, oh, yeah. I mean, maybe. Sure. Why not? It's an unpaid full-time internship. Essentially. <laughs> um, so I showed up to their meet and greet, which is where like I met the director of education there. And right. um, I was like, yeah, I'm really excited. She's like, great. Here's your stuff. Um, you can start working Monday. Bring your payment for tuition. I was like, oh. Uh, I'm poor. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, All right, so here's what you do write up a full page letter, like just handwrite a, a letter to me saying that, like, you need financial assistance and we'll see what we can do. Right. And I was like, Okay, cool. Will that cover everything? She's like, It'll cover half. I was like, Okay. And like, <laughs> I went home, explained it to my parents, and they're like, Well, let's see what happens. And I never got asked to pay the rest uh, so mm. I asked at the end of the summer I was like hey what happened like well you worked both shows and you I, I got to run motors nice. uh, I have a funny story about that so because I worked both shows and I helped in the shop they just covered my tuition entirely um, oh, that's awesome so I show up, and they're like, hey, we want you to run motors for... We were doing uh, All Shook Up, uh, which was part of Summer Independent, where they let college and high school students put on their own show without anyone holding their hands. Like you, gotcha. you have mentors that you check in with, but otherwise it's your show. You do the lighting. You do the sound. Uh, you're the director. You're the choreographer. and That's awesome. So I got signed on as the motor-op, and the technical director um, is teaching me the ropes, teaching me how to do everything. This is right. how you do this. This is how you edit this. Um I was like, I'll I'll be here until I see that you get the hold of it, so I'll probably be with you a day or two. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, cool. And they're already asking me to like change the position of some of the pallets that are uh, coming out of the wings. And after about twenty minutes he hands me my card hands me his card and says, Hey, mm-hmm. uh, just call me if you need anything. You got this. <laughs> <laughs> so I never saw him again. Nice. Um had that that was a fun summer. Mm-hmm. That's that's what made me realize I really do want to be a part of this. Um, right. Especially when, you know, I was in the wings in a dark corner, kind of distant, you know, from all the actors and all the tech. Mm-hmm. And this one girl comes up to me, and she was a principal character in the show. And she comes up and's like, "Hi, my name's Sarah, and you're my new best friend." <laughs> And then she introduced me to the cast and she introduced me to the crew and I, mm-hmm. I, I really felt like I found a family there, honestly. Um, uh, I. Then, you know, the summer ended, I was sad. Oh no, it was the production manager that I had met earlier because now I meet the director of education or I've known her, but she she sent me um, an email saying, hey, can you come in? We want to offer you some opportunities. And I went in, she's like, do you want to be the technical director for next year's Summer independent? Independence? It's going to be Chicago.
0: That's <sighs> a good one. Okay, <laughs> I like a, all that jazz.
1: What does that mean? It's like <laughs> <laughs> is God, that? you just razzle dazzled me. Um, but I'm
0: Joel Gray
1: anyway. <laughs> um, so I asked what it meant, and it's like you're you find the budget, you do the technical drawings, you build it um, with your crew, of course, blah blah blah. Yep. So I technical directed.
0: Chicago. This is junior year high school? Yes? Just to get a timeline on mm-hmm. how how old or young you were when you were a technical director. Yeah, Chicago was junior then. Yeah. Because, okay. Yeah, because yeah, so, we didn't have the new theater until the last year of high school, right? You, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I technical directed Chicago. Um, I set designed was the... And when I say technical director, I'm also the master carpenter. They just lump the two together, but typically a so technical I, director.
0: When you said carpenter, I heard cobbler. <laughs> <It's> like I <laughs> asked, oh, yes, while I was making drawings, I made some shoes.
1: Um. So they they master they combined the role of technical director and master carpenter. And mm-hmm. from now on, I'm just going to say TD, uh, just because that's easier. And then the next summer, I was the technical director, set designer, weapons handler, and <laughs> master carpenter for <laughs> Assassins. <laughs>
0: And if that's not confusing. Um, Sounds to me like you probably could have had like an assistant or something to carry some of that shit for you. Yeah. Um, you never called th- me, so I don't know. I, yeah. No, I <laughs> didn't. Um, and then after high school, I was the
1: technical director for um, Kiss Me Kate. Mm-hmm. Then I switched to what I really want wanted to do full time because I was kind of getting burnt out on the technical director. Right. Uh, because when everything goes wrong... Um, it kind of falls on you, and that's just way too stressful for me.
2: Gotcha.
1: Um, so I did lighting design for Children of Eden, and then I did lighting design for um, Catch Me If You Can. And in that time, senior year of high school, I also did something called the – I did the Rising Star Project at the Fifth Avenue Theater. hmm And um, it was the inaugural Rising Star Project, and it's something they do every year now, um, where high schoolers um, – They basically take a show. They close the show, but they keep all the sets, props, scenery, um, costumes. It's not a show
0: per person. It's a show for like that group of kids, right? Yeah,
1: essentially, um, they close a show. They keep everything there, and then they. The high schoolers have been rehearsing at this point, Ah.
2: um,
1: and then they bring in a high school tech team, and I got to run motors for it because I had previous experience. Yeah, so they knew that I had that, and then the director of education, director Mm -hmm. of education, I don't know if he's actually the director of education. He's an alum of the same program that I was a part of. Gotcha. Um, So he saw that letterhead, and he's like, "Oh, we got to get this kid in, and he can do motors." Um, Can you clarify what
0: that means for those that don't know, including myself, because I've been sitting here trying to figure it out. What doing motors oh <laughs> so uh when you go see a big show um
1: I, i'm gonna use lay Miz as an example because it's kind of like the most popular example and a, a widely known show that people have probably seen on stage yep. um where the stage or hamilton even because that's a more recent you know more popular um, better musical <laughs> <laughs> i said it Fight me. <laughs> um no, Sorry, but I'd ra-
0: rather sit through the four and a half hours of Hamilton than the day and a half of Le Miz listening to people die on stage. Listen, I need to get you tickets to see my show because we there's like a
1: whole fifteen minutes where we just rip on LeMiz.
0: Fuck. I like
1: my I, I
0: Miz, yeah. That sounds awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um but a turntable where the stage rotates, that's done by a motor. Um more uh another uh, if you see a piece of scenery move on stage mm-hmm. without anyone,
0: like, rolling it in, that's operated by a motor. Ah, okay. Yeah, so that's it's just... Mean. I was picturing, like, r- wires and shit for, like, people flying around. No, that's just called flying. Um, of course it is. <laughs> which we got to do
1: for Tarzan. That was fun. Nice. After graduating high school, I had, like, a short stint where I just wasn't doing theater. I was working retail. Mm-hmm. Um... And that's kind of the life is that well, yeah, you, can find, you can find internships, but finding a full-time day job, you know, in the theater. Yeah. Very, very hard. That does. It does sound tricky because they come and go and, and usually move. When you land a position, um, you don't ever give it up. Yeah i when i was 16 i promised myself that i would someday be in a few good men uh one of my favorite movies one of my favorite you know plays and um i was just at work i was on a break and i looked and i was just trying to see if anywhere in the area was doing it and i found a theater about a half hour 45 minutes uh, south of me I was doing it so i was like oh, i'm gonna I'm gonna go audition. Blah blah, mm-hmm. blah blah. So I went and I auditioned um, for the role of Tom Cruise, or I really wanted to play Caffey, which is Tom Cruise's character. Um, and I was gunning for it. And auditions went well. I got a call back for Caffey. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got a call back for a few other roles, but it was uh, Caffey. Kevin then Bacon. I, <laughs> I really wanted to play the Caffey role because um, right. that's like the role, unless that you're Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Um, so get to callbacks, and uh, I'm not reading for Kathy at all, <laughs> and I'm, like, nervous. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. The director doesn't like me. Oh, God. Um, but I was reading for uh, Corporal Dawson, who was one of, the, uh, one of the Marines that were on trial. Right. Um, so the director uh, comes out, looks at me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: thinks for a second, goes to the bathroom, comes back out. <laughs> He had to take a think break uh-huh. um, and he comes up to me. He's like, Hey, how'd you like to play Dawson? I said, well, can I read more for Kathy? And he's like, ah, I didn't want to have this talk. Oh no. Hold on. It, it's really good. And it's the only reason that I accepted the role of Dawson is because of how candid and how honest he was with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's like, I want you to play Kathy. You are a phenomenal Kathy. And I think you would be phenomenal in the role. And I want you in the role. Mm-hmm. I don't have someone to play your Sam. I don't have someone to be your best friend. I don't think there's anyone that you can really jive with. Ah. So I'm asking you to make the sacrifice with me. Mm-hmm. But I I joined the cast. I had a blast there. I still didn't have a car. Um, <laughs> so I was busing there, getting picked up at night. Um, mm-hmm. I did get a car by the time the show
0: opened, though. Oh, nice. Um, a lovely 1992... Uh, Toyota Corolla 2001 Ford Taurus I was pretty fucking close You were not that
1: far <laughs> off <laughs> Two popular cars Two very reliable cars too Absolutely. Um No uh, So We're going into our second weekend I think And there was this whole like uh, The city was naming that day You know Oh it's this theater's day You know The the managing artistic director Went up and talked to the people that You know Had come to the ceremony Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was hors d'oeuvres and, and a little bit of finger food and all that. And he talks about how we just got a $25,000 grant to get uh, to move forward in converting our space into an LED space. Nice. Like, oh, cool. It's so man. I asked John, I asked John, I'm like, hey, do you know what lights you're going to get? And he's like, no. Why? Do you know anything about lighting? I'm like, I put at the bottom of my resume. I'm a lighting designer. <laughs> <laughs> so I know a couple of things. I might know a few things. might know a few. Um, so he goes to the production manager uh, at the time and is like, did you know Aaron's a lighting designer? And she looks at me, she's like, no. <laughs> she was, like, offended that I didn't tell her. And I'm like, was that it was on my resume? And she's like, I don't read those. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: then you can't she, complain.
1: <laughs> she, she doesn't read, well, because it was my acting resume. And it was, like, at the bottom, other skills. Oh, gotcha. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that wasn't Horseback relevant. Riding, the dancing. show. Yeah. yeah. Underwater basket weaving. Oh, um, Top of mind. So I got put on the team to help the master electrician at the time mm-hmm. uh, find LED lights. And it, him and I butted heads before this. Mm-hmm. And it was after this. What The strobe light that we were using for an effect in the show, right. um, it just stopped working. Mm-hmm. And the production manager's like, hey, Aaron, can you fix our strobe light? Because at this point, she knew that, right. you know, I, I knew lighting. Where's the master electrician? And she's like, well, we emailed him to come fix it. And he said, I don't want to drive 45 minutes just to prove that you guys don't know what you're doing. What a dick. Right? Yeah. Um, so I said, listen, Miss Production Manager. <laughs> You are asking an actor who goes on stage in an hour to go up on a 12 foot rickety ladder. She's like, Yep. I'm like, Cool. And so I got the ladder out, <laughs> <laughs> went up there. And uh, one thing about in lighting industry, there's intelligent lighting and then like conventional lighting. A strobe light is considered intelligent lighting. Okay. Um, you do not plug it into a dimmer. It needs constant power even if you turn that dimmer on to full at a zero count it can still break it gotcha guess what he did
0: plugged it into a dimmer
1: yeah so i put the the pieces together on that one yeah apparently it was all his own gear though okay (laughs) so we weren't worried about it so i said well if that's what he wants done i just plugged it into the next dimmer um because it was the dimmer that was broken gotcha then the summer comes around and I get asked to come in to help in the summer for right. the education classes. And then an email comes out that says, Hey, what shows are you interested in lighting? I said, Oh, I like this one and this one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think I chose like Rocky horror show and doubt. Nice. Um, yeah. And then I get an email back. It's like, so we're not getting a real clear consensus. Do you just want to light all of them?
0: Wait. So consensus from other people, right? Cause it seemed like in your initial email, you were pretty clear on those two Yeah,
1: no, it was from other people, Um, so I took on lighting every show, which meant I became the master electrician, because he wasn't there anymore. So then we got to Rocky Horror, Yeah, and I'd lit three shows at this point. I lit the shit out of Rocky Horror. I lit the shit out of Rocky Horror. Every light (laughs) Um, was on! No, and then at that point, um, John comes up and he's like, we want you to be technical director. Ooh. Which I was burnt out on. Right, from before. From before, but like I thought that enough time had passed and I could do it. So I am now entering my second year. Um, It's been a year and a half. I've been the technical director. Fuck yeah! And that's where I'm at now.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Everybody I know, at least, loves the rock. I love the rock. I think the rock is this perfect example of how good we can be, which sounds pretty um pretty grandiose. Let me let me explain. So, I was watching the Titans games, which is the Rock's brand new um competition show on NBC there. And it has this really strong human element where it talks about how incredible these people are that have overcome you know, you've got cancer survivors, you've got, uh, um, uh, military veterans, you've got, uh, people who grew up in like the worst, um, poverty ridden conditions. You've got people, uh, who I think there's one person that's uh, missing limbs, uh, all sorts of, you know, s- trials of adversity and these incredible stories and the rock, no matter what he's in, no matter what he's doing, he always has this, this aura around him of incredible positivity and personal strength that he just he glows with it you know he's he's just he's smiling all the time he's eager to you know be just this beacon of of light for for everyone you know everybody looks to the rock and just feels happy when they look at the rock and it's incredibly impressive and inspiring that he can be on all the time you know there's never there's never like a, a there's no video I can think of like the rock being angry or bummed out he's always the rock you know he's always this embodiment of what we come to expect from him and while it's incredibly inspiring that he as an individual can represent this it's important to know that he's actually gone on the record saying he has a, a team a support structure that um helps him stay This positive and keeps him on message, I suppose. Um, So while it is, while he's always on, he doesn't and can't do it alone. So, in a way, that's even more inspiring. It's like even when he's not trying, he's inspiring. It's fucking infuriating. And I love it because The Rock, who is this incredibly positive person, can't be that incredible positive person without the support of those around him. And that's just, that's an incredible message, isn't it? Cause it's like, you can be so strong and you can be this beacon of light, but if you don't have friends, family, people around you backing you up and giving you that, that like support that you, that pe- everybody needs friends and people around them to be their best and while he is this incredible person, he can't do it without his support structure. Even The Rock needs help. Even The Rock needs friends. Which means he's just like the rest of us. And if he can do it, we can all do it, you know? It's this support that we all share with each other to be positive, to be happy, to overcome adversity and struggles. And it's it's crazy how many positive messages that dude can just spit out. Also, he's fucking jacked as shit and it's it's kind of I like dude he like I saw him like wave on the show and his his bicep tricep upper arm was bigger than his head fucking he's huge I love it goals upon goals oh man Titan Games is excellent TV Uh, you'll feel the emotion they tell you just enough about the people to root for him to pick a favorite the obstacles are absurd And huge and what's, uh, this was actually pointed out to me um, by a friend of mine who's watching the show that what makes the show really good and in my opinion better than American Ninja Warrior uh, which is very very similar uh, to the show is that there are no concessions nor changes made to obstacles based on sex the men and the women face the exact same shit When it comes to time to face Mount Olympus, like, the the weights of all the obstacles remain the same, everything about it is the same, and I love that, it's equalizing, you know? There's no, no, no gender gets an advantage over the other, it's everybody faces the same shit, and you gotta be just as strong as everybody else in this fucking competition in order to overcome these obstacles, and I love that, we're all, we're all equal in the fucking Titan games. Everybody's on the same playing field. Nobody gets an advantage. Nobody gets a disadvantage. It's all out there on the line, and it's all down to you as a person, what you're capable of. And I love that. I think I think it's so great that you, you watch it, and you're like, oh, man, that's incredible. And then you watch everybody else do it, and you're like, oh, man, all these people are fucking awesome. And it doesn't matter you know, who's what or anything like that. They're all on the same goddamn playing field fighting the same shit side by side overcoming obstacles and the rock is just standing there smiling them on and i love it it's it's really good if you can find if you can get your hands on the titan game give that give that shit a watch because it's real fucking good let's move on to the next thing Another show I wanted to briefly mention this week because, you know, it's kind of, in the it just had episode 4 drop uh, with the new season, and naturally the podcast didn't exist when season 1 happened, so I haven't been able to talk about it, and that is the best sci-fi show to come out in some time that I've watched. I want to preface that. There's a lot of sci-fi shows out there, but in my opinion, The Orville is really fucking good, and if you haven't seen it, you really should, because it's the best Star Trek show since Next Generation. Um, yeah, that's right. You heard me. You heard me. Janeway's a monster. Cisco likes baseball. Fuck 'em both. Fucking Ed Mercer. That's where it's at. Yeah, that's right. The Ordeville. Because it is a sci-fi show with comedic elements. It is not a comedy show with sci-fi elements. That's a really big distinction, okay? It's not just it's not Seth MacFarlane just dicking around in space while there's occasionally some sci-fi shit. No, 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 no. It is a it is a serious sci-fi show. That occasionally does some some comic, comical stuff, you know, like when the funny is needed, it's very funny, you know. It, Seth MacFarlane's character has this dry wit that comes off as really sarcastic. That is just it's awesome. Uh, the supporting cast is incredible. Their characters are incredibly well fleshed out. It does what original Star Trek did because original Star Trek's strength came from the fact that it couldn't do huge bombastic space fights and shit like that. It focused on the human element, okay? Because that's what it could do. It it focused on the characters and the development and the relationships between those characters. That's what made that show so strong and so memorable. Next Gen had a balance of both. It could focus on the human element and get those incredible relationships going on but it also had the technology to do some cool space shit, alright? Now the Orville definitely has the technology to do some cool space shit and to be fair it absolutely does but it also focuses on the human element because it understands what made Star Trek so good and what the current Star Trek show is failing in that the current Star Trek show is a lot more action-y and it's a lot more like the movies. And while the movies are good in their own way, and to me, they're not truly representative of what Star Trek really means. And Star Trek is all about the people and the relationships between those people inter interdepartmental Within the ship, how the ship interacts with the other alien species they bump into, how they accept new crew members, what they do when old crew members leave—you know, stuff like that. That's what that's all about. And the Orville does that really well. What the Orville also does really well, um, in terms of season one, is subverting expectations in traditional sci-fi storylines. Uh, season two has not done it as well. Um, I will say that it certainly surprised me in some areas. But it has fallen a little bit more into that comfortable sci-fi story um, pool of plot lines that most of us who are familiar with the genre have heard once or twice in our time. There are definitely some emotional hits with season two though. Um, I will say that it is very enjoyable TV. Um, I'm very glad that it seems like the episode lengths of these are closer to an hour than other shows I can think of. Each episode is air quotes presented with limited commercial interruptions, which I believe is true. You get like two or three commercials per break and then you're back into it. Um, and normally in a show like this during like primetime, there'd be like five, six, seven commercials before the show came back on. So it does seem like there are limited commercial interruptions. Um, and that allows for just more show. Um, naturally, the show has some flaws. I will readily admit that. Um, Certain kind of misjudgment fires when it comes to um, certain characters and their time spent on screen. For example, some characters might get a little too much of the spotlight while other characters who become incredibly important later on did not get enough to the point where when one character reappeared. I was like, wait, who the fuck is this? Oh, that's right. They were introduced in episode one of the new season. I completely forgot all about that because we hadn't seen them since. Um, it's, you know, it's stuff like that. There are there are issues for sure, but if you like original series Star Trek, or if you like Next Gen, or if you like them both, or if you just want a good sci-fi show that'll make you laugh and make you cry, New Orville is right at the top of that list. Um, also, I will say this, there's a lot of really heavy drama sci-fi shows coming out re- uh, soon, like The Passage. Um, Orville is, it can be heavy at times, but I can promise you it's going to be way easier to watch than any of that heavy fucking shit with like space zombies. I don't even know what the fuck's happening over there, but oh boy, it just seems like a lot's going on really quickly, so you know, I'll take my I'll take my nice comfortable jaunt with Seth MacFarlane through space um, any day of the week, it's it's really solid, um, and it just makes me smile and hey, you know what, that's what this podcast is all about, is making people smile so you should go watch The Orville and, and Titan Games and listen to Harry Potter and listen to The Astonishing and all sorts of crazy shit you should do all these things let's move on to the next thing in the podcast favorite musical you had to pick one you only get one
1: god um be more chill is that a musical or is that what you're telling me to do no it, <laughs> it's a musical it's a newer musical all right what's it about it is about a guy named jeremy who's kind of like the loser of the high school okay and he has this cru- he has a crush on a girl mm-hmm. and uh he has a really good best friend who really loves bob marley okay And I'm, like, tiptoeing around trying to get, like, before I get to the weird stuff. Um, So he's bullied, and there's this one kid who, like, starts bullying him, and Mm -hmm. then, like, has a sudden change of heart, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you should get this thing called a Squip. uh, Super Quantum Unit Intel Processor. Okay. And it's, like, a Tic tac size thing, and you have to drink it with Mountain Dew, and it activates. Okay. And it's basically, like, this, like voice in your head telling you how to be cool. It's fucking
0: awesome.
1: Yeah, no, it's fucking awesome. Um, and he uses it to try to win over Christine, his crush. Ah. Um, and even here's the best part. The second song in the show is I Love Play Rehearsal. So <laughs> it's a theater goer's dream. Um Oh man. So he has to he takes it and then the squip is in his head and it's like this he can be whoever he wants mm-hmm. you know He can be whoever Jeremy wants him to be. Right. So, like, I think in the show specifically it says, you know, Keanu Reeves, but I think it's because the original actor to play the squip was Keanu Reeves, and he's on stage. Only Jeremy can see him, though. Gotcha. Um, Like the Fiddler. Like the Fiddler, yeah. So, he goes through, um, if you drink alcohol, it it fucks with the squip. Um, Michael sings a song. Michael, his best friend sings a song about being in the bathroom at a party all alone, Nice. Um, which is the best song, um, in the show next to when you love somebody, you put your pants on for them. Um, this is Avenue Q. <laughs> no, that his dad sings that his dad doesn't wear pants because the wife divorced. blah, blah, blah. Gotcha. So it's, it's basically Jeremy's adventure in a computer in his head. Mm trying to squip the entire school. Gotcha. And the only way to deactivate the squip is Mountain Dew Red. Not Code Red. Mountain, Mountain Dew, red. Dew Red. Which was made in the 80s for a very short amount of time, but this takes place, like,
0: now. okay. Yeah. What a very strange particular set of circumstances. In no, but occur. let me tell you, like, you have, you have uh, Google Play Music, right? Yes. Yeah. Take a listen to it. Be more chill. Alright. Let's see. I think I'd probably have to go with The Lion King, because I'm old school. And Blanking's good. It's it's probably not like the best in terms of story message or anything like that, but for the nostalgia value it holds for me, being mm-hmm. my favorite movie, I kind of have to give it to that. That's fair. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to think of my own shit. The last musical or stage performance I was really in, mm. I di- I didn't do any in high school. Um, I did one in like eighth grade. Um, but I don't think I was a part of any of them in high school. Mm -hmm. I was just kind of tangentially related in like the orbiting sphere did tech shit later on Um, but the last thing I was ever in was like Wizard of Oz and that was back in Connecticut before I actually came out here Um, and I was just a fucking flying monkey
1: (laughs) yeah I don't I don't do musicals like I'm not in musicals Mm -hmm. really ever I mean in high school it's kind of a necessity because that's you know one out of the two shows of the year Um, musical into play Mm-hmm. So I do more plays, and my my favorite show I've ever been in is Peter and the Starcatcher, based on the book. It's based on the book, roughly, gotcha. roughly <laughs> based on the book, which is roughly more, based on the original story. It's more Disney than the book. Gotcha. Yeah, because it's Disney, um, Peter. But like the whole idea of a bunch of adults acting like they're kids is just hilarious to me. Nice. Yeah,
0: that's good stuff. If you could do one play in your current setup. Dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen, that's a good one. Yeah, I would
1: love to play uh, Evan Hansen or Connor. (laughs) I think either one of those two roles I would really like. um, Connor's only in it for like half an hour, though. He shows up (laughs) later on, I think, but... He's still very important. I just think that the message of that show about... um, Social media growth. Social media growth and also, in a way... A lot of people don't realize. They think that's just the story about Evan Hansen and him fucking up. No, nah, um, no, nah, that's way than that. It, in his fuck up, I mean, even the love interest of the story, Connor's sister, mm. um, even she forgives Evan because um, it's musical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no because look what you did for mental illness look you made it aware you mm-hmm. made it a thing that people talk about now and look at this orchard that you know you lied and said that you and Connor are were in mm-hmm. it's people are planting trees here again and now we have an apple orchard because you did everything mm-hmm. and I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize because it doesn't really touch in the soundtrack you have to like read the script or see the show to realize right is that Evan is forgiven and the family never comes forward that it was all a fabrication Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because it brought the family together and everything. So yeah, he lied. He lied big time, but it brought a family back together. Evan's lying fabricated the Connor that they wish that they knew. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're semi okay with it. Like she does not get back together with Evan, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I think, that show is just very important to mental illness and anxiety. I think more than anything. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Was well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we, uh, before we say, say farewell? Oh
1: yeah, actually. Cause I want to, th- this is about Spider-Man, but not into the Spider-Verse Do because, it. um, you had a very good point in that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I, I think you saying that Spider-Man can be anyone can be Spider-Man, right? Oh Yeah and you talk about how you need to be Spider-Man before you get the suit. There's one thing that you forgot to talk about. What? You have to have an uncle die. No. (laughs) I'm being completely serious here. Um, (laughs) It's... um, You forgot to mention the moment in Homecoming. Where, like... Where Tony Tony Stark is taking the suit away from Mm. and Peter's like, no, 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 please, please, I'm nothing without that suit. And you know, uh, Tony is just like if you're nothing without the suit, then that's the reason you shouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important part about Spider-Man. You can't just be a good guy because you put on the good guy clothes. Right. You need to act it at all times.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That's and also, the- yeah, yeah. No, keep on. That's one of the reasons why the Amazing Spider-Man movie sucked so much was that um, fucking uh, Peter Parker in those movies wasn't Spider-Man because of good altruistic reasons. He was spider-man because he was trying to figure out who killed his uncle ben and he was also socially awkward yeah he was, that those movies are terrible representations of spider-man because they don't understand the core of the character the other thing i want to talk about is fast and furious <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm gonna attack you here go for it i am not a fast and furious enthusiast well then you don't like fun
0: you but don't I like will dumb because movies.
1: Because you said if you don't like the first one, you won't like any of the others. Uh, yes, I stand by that. I love Tokyo Drift.
2: All
0: right. I, best I mean, that Friars is Tokyo... the best one so far.
1: Yeah, like th- that's the one I really like. I'm not, and I, I also want to say it's not just
0: taking a camera and filming cars, it's pretty much just taking a camera and filming cars. <laughs> oh, the God. first two movies are just taking a camera and filming cars. Yeah, everyone had a bit more characterization going on had a bit more there you know yeah okay, um, okay. but you
1: do not need to be a Fast and Furious fan to like Tokyo Drift because I feel like it's much more than just the racing yeah it's also when you consider that it you know it's not just drifting it's drifting in Tokyo where drifting was kind of fathered and yeah. they had the, the father of drift do a lot of the the tricks that's awesome it it's more about the cultural significance, aspect, yeah, the cultural significance, and that's why I think I like Tokyo Drift.
0: Yeah, it's it those drives and those races are done with a purpose. There's a reason mm-hmm. behind them. It's yeah. not just you know look how fast I can go in my car. Yeah, which kind of the other two uh pretty fully embody. So yeah, I'll give I'll give you that Tokyo Drift is definitely the best of the first three movies. Yeah. Probably the best out of I don't know I haven't seen four through how many are there. I won't say Eight. that it.
1: I am not going to absolutely say that it is the best movie in the series mm-hmm. because it's the only one I've seen. Gotcha. Um well, yeah. it's the only it's not the only one I've seen. It's the only one that I remember. Gotcha. <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it cuz the rest is like Oh yeah, they raced and they did this, they're running from the cops. I'm like, yeah, that could be any of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, I, there's no defining moment except for when um I don't know if you've you've i mean it's pretty fucking
0: 14 years old
1: i well i'm talking about like in one of the newer ones it was after um aaron paul and they like they paid a tribute to him right like you you, mean paul walker yeah him aaron paul was on breaking bad wasn't he he? was
0: fuck (laughs) you know uh yeah paul williams when he died after he wrote
1: (laughs) stevie wonder um (laughs) yeah in uh fast
0: seven right where he drives away
1: where they they pay tribute, that is the best moment in a Fast and Furious movie. Well, of course it is, because it's honoring someone who made the franchise. So and like I I don't hate them. They're just not for me. I guess is the best way to put them. That's like I understand why they're liked and why you know they're important to people. Mm-hmm. I guess is the best way to put it. But not for me. Tokyo Drift, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah. I need to track down the rest of those movies. Uh, but he's like. I think if you were to watch... So, here, here's the question. If you were to watch <laughs> all the Spider-Man movies, or all the Fast and the Furious movies, which would you go with? Because honestly, that's a tough call, because you got to slog is, through some shit either way.
1: Yeah, I have to go... God, but... Uh, hey, is Fast and Furious not on Netflix? The I'm first safe. three are. Oh, okay. you got to track down the rest. Um, exactly. God, I don't want to have to sit through Spider-Man 3 again. Nope.
0: Although no. I did rewatch that like a um, couple of months ago when it was on Netflix and mm-hmm. it's, if you don't take it seriously, it's not that bad because of how awful the acting is and how big of a douchebag fucking every character in that movie is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's, it's kind of enjoyable when you look at it like that. Okay. I, I can understand so, that. Because it's just, it's fucking schlocky, awful. Although J. Jones James Jamison is still one of the best. Now are we also including like animated Spider-Man? No, I'm thinking live action. So you got to start with Tobey Maguire and then go to. Andrew okay, Garfield. so you're not even including Spider Verse. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, no. If I'm not including Spider Verse, then no. How about well, this? How about, Movie... how about we put it what? theatrical releases? There you go. Theatrical release Spider-Man movies. Oh, uh,
1: that's. I think. I could. I could probably set the Spider-Man three. I would just be laughing the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh. And especially at.
0: Um, emo, edgy, Peter. The best scene of any movie ever. <laughs> sure. It's <laughs> iconic. It's like it's right up there next to um the fucking end of Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> you turned her against me? You have done that yourself. Oh, God. It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. That fucking scene. You know why that scene's so good? It's because why? for the first time in the prequel trilogy, they're actually acting.
2: That's Is that why what that you call so it. Good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's the first time we see like real emotion from either of those now, actors I'm, in the whole fucking I'm, franchise. I'm pretty sure
1: they were in a live volcano and they were just trying to get out of there, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> George Lucas wasn't letting them. That's those movies suck so goddamn much. Oh man. Well, hey, thanks for stopping by. Yeah. Appreciate it. Is there anything you want to plug that you're doing? Um
1: no not currently i have some things like in the works that i made like retroactively like 10 episodes from now mm-hmm. like just say hey can can i come
0: on and plug this Yeah, absolutely so cool 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 well thanks for stopping by yeah thank and, you uh, we'll move on to the next thing in the podcast. And finally this week i wanted to talk about something that affects i think all of us on certain levels because it's this universal truth that you know bears repeating and it's this idea that no matter what we do we will never be able to please everybody we'll never be able to get everybody on our side we'll never be able to get a smile a laugh from everybody we interact with it's important to recognize that there will always be people out there who don't like you who don't like what you do who actively work against you who make moves against you um and you know that is probably the greatest source of struggle and adversity that many of us will deal with in our lives are these roadblocks of individuals who go out of their way to make trouble to make problems occur uh, or to insult you in the work you do. Um, for example, negative comments on YouTube videos I've gotten in the past and uh, comments I've gotten about people who don't like some of the jokes in the audiobook, uh, all sorts of things. And yeah, it you know it'll happen to me way more because I don't plan on stopping anytime soon because I understand that there will always be people out there who don't like the stuff I do and that's fine you know I'm not going to waste my time and energy trying to get everybody into my camp the people that enjoy my stuff will enjoy my stuff and the people that don't won't that's it's just part of life you know you're either gonna like it or you're not you know many things are pretty clear-cut like that you either enjoy the sound of Geddy Lee singing in Rush or you don't and that's fine you know both are correct i personally love rush but i know a lot of people who don't and both nobody's wrong in this instance people are different. people are into different things that's what makes us all incredible you know we're all our own people we don't conform we don't fall into place everybody is a unique like individual and that's incredible sometimes you're going to like the going up cast sometimes you're not that's totally fine everything's cool it's just you sometimes people get hung up on it and their their days can be built around trying to make everybody laugh and everybody smile and they find recognition and um, a validation in the reactions of people around them and that can be a slippery slope if your sense of belonging and personality is solely created by those around you when they're not there what do you do you know those types of things you need to be able to have that identity beyond those around you because naturally you're not going to get everybody to like you and then all of a sudden the world can start to crumble in so recognizing that you won't be able to please everybody all the time and that sometimes you're going to you're gonna fail and people are going to point at you and laugh and you just got to get out of the dirt and you got to keep going you're never gonna please everybody But, you know, life is, life is about those who you do make happy. The, the people that you find along the way that smile when they see you, that enjoy your company, that actively seek you out, that want to know how your day was, that want to spend time with you, the people that you can talk to anything about. Those are the people that make life worthwhile. Everybody else can fall by the wayside. They don't matter. They don't like you. Fuck them. Fuck them. You got tons of people in your life that do. I got people in my life that love what I do and enjoy my company. So do you, and I want you to know that you're valued. People around you love you, and that those people that hate you can fuck off and die because they ain't worth it. And fuck, life's too short to worry about them. So just don't. Just fucking don't. Worry are the people that do matter because they're worth it, and so are you. It's getting a little preachy, but I, you know, I stand, I stand by it. You know, I stand by it. I think it's a, I think it's a good, solid message. And boy, you know, I got, I got some letters lately. So I wanted to remind everybody out there that the haters are gonna hate. And You know who, who sang that song on the hit TV show Ballers? That's right, at The Rock. Boom, came full circle. Everybody, everybody loves it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Going Up Cast. If you enjoy what I do, please feel free to look at Going Up Cast on Patreon for support or check out The Going Cast store for personalized audiobook readings or a fantastic mystery book for your ear holes. My name is Andrew Logan. I will see you tomorrow night for Harry Potter chapters, and I will see you next week for a brand new episode of The Going Cast. And once again, a special thanks to my buddy Mosey for being the first guest on the Going Up cast. Let me know if you enjoyed that interview. I can bring him back on in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. It was so much fun to talk to. And I plan on having many more guests down the line. So get ready for that. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I'll see you next week. Talk to you later.